Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, you may have heard Bernie mention in the news bulletin um, new figures revealed to News Talk, which show that over one in every five people who attended a sexual assault treatment unit last year was under the age of 18. There were 859 patients who went to the units in 2021. This is following an attack and it's actually an increase of 17% on the previous year. 185 of those who attended were children. Margot Noonan is an advanced nurse practitioner with the Cork Sexual Assault Treatment Unit and Margot was with us on the line today. Margot, are you surprised by these numbers? I'm working frontline in the service. I'm not surprised. Um, I had expected it to be higher and I imagine um, that it's going to be higher for this year and every year going forward. And the numbers are climbing steadily. There's been a year on year on increase, even with the impact of COVID. It didn't really damage the numbers. There was still a lot of people starting to come forward. So you actually expected the figures of 859, a 17% increase on figures for the previous year. You actually expected that, Margot, to be higher. I did um, unfortunately, we have a lot of people who don't come forward and don't disclose, or maybe they may make a disclosure, but they don't actually come in and uh, make a report formally within the unit. Um, it's very difficult. Only 10%, the research shows that only about 10% of uh, people affected by sexual violence actually report it. <clears throat> so I think if we were to actually look at the true numbers, it's a lot higher than 859 the figure that you know like and I, I in a way it's very i suppose insensitive or cold when we talk about figures because behind these cold columns of statistics are lives um and and people yeah. whose lives have been turned upside down margot but like i have to say there's one particular figure there that i mentioned when i was reading this this morning 185 of the people who were attended were children children yes like is the, yeah is that and and they're the numbers from 13 up to 18. We're not counting the children under the age of 13. We're not getting the true figure of those numbers of children. That's not, um, and that's the, the frightening part about it. I think once uh, the Barna House services are up and running in the country, that we'll see those numbers increase uh, much more much more significantly than what we're seeing at the moment. 25, 24, I should say, were children under the age of 14. 78. Yeah were aged between 14 and 16 years of age. Seven were over the yeah. age of 70. 185 were under 18. And the average yeah. age of the victims was 26 years of age. Yeah, and the age profile is changing. Um, you know, we would have had a lot of the 18 to 24, but we've seen an increase in maybe the 40 to 50. Um, and unfortunately, we have some people in their 80s that are using the service as well. So it just goes to show... Sexual violence affects people right across the age continuum. There's no one age group that's mm-hmm. more at risk than any other group. And I think that's really important. And I think that's the message that needs to be out there, that there's so many different rape scripts in people head. When they hear rape and sexual violence, they have a fixed image. And anything that doesn't fix it or fit that image, they probably don't consider it. A lot of people would ring us up and say, I don't know if this really is um, a sexual assault. And when they describe it to us, you know, it very much is, and it's that that bit of education. So I think we need to, you know, get rid of the myth of that it's only a certain age group or it's young girls, because this goes right across the age profile. And I know in our unit in Cork, we've seen a massive increase in the number of men coming forward this year.
92% of those who presented according to the figures were female. But I suppose what's interesting here though, and Margot, you made that point at the outset, is that these are the people who are presenting though. Like this isn't necessarily, I mean, these are the people who are actually reporting this and seeking treatment. But I suppose it's only, I mean, is, is, is it possible that this is only a snapshot of what's going on? This, this is only a fraction of what's going on, an absolute only a fraction. And we know that from experience, from talking to people, um, you know, when we go to different events um, representing the service and people feel free to come and talk to us and they will disclose and they'll say, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. I didn't want to report it or at the time I didn't feel it was the right thing to do. I didn't understand um, you know, and we encourage people to make a report no matter how much time has passed. Just, you know, to seek the help that because you'll always need some help with this. Nobody can manage this on their own. So I think this is definitely just a fraction of what's actually happening out there. Um, and and there's uh, more to come. Lots more to come. You might, Margot, just explain. And I'm just thinking of people that are maybe listening to this today and have maybe haven't presented or have considered it, but maybe haven't actually contacted or gone to a sexual assault treatment unit. What actually happens when you go in through the doors? So we have a number of options that we can we can um, offer to people. I suppose the first thing is that you're coming into a unit where you have extremely experienced staff working within the unit. This is what we do. <clears throat> excuse me. What we do all day, every day, is that we deal with sexual violence and seeing the impact that it has. And we have a very heightened awareness of, you know, the physical, the psychological, the medical needs. So first of all, you somebody, it's a safe place to talk. Um, you can't shock us, you can't hurt us, you know. You're coming in to tell us and we will listen. There's no judgment, there's no um, questioning or whatever. So of the three options, some people will choose to have a medical where maybe they just want to get their injuries checked out. Maybe they need to have some medication or have a sexual health screen after what's happened to them. They're concerned about an unwanted pregnancy or, uh, you know, there's a high prevalence of chlamydia and gonorrhea in the community at the moment. So, you know, that's something that they want to be checked for. Um, And we link them in with the psychological services and any other external services that they, you know, say that they might need. Um, so we take part, we look after them for that and help them if they do want to make a report to the guards, we'll put them in contact with the protective service units in Angarda Shea and support them during that um, conversation. If it's within seven days of the assault, we can offer to do a full forensic exam. So people would know this predominantly as doing a rape kit. So this is where we collect evidence. And we, everything that we do, the most important thing, I think, is that the the person is back in control because rape isn't about sex. Rape is about control over somebody. So we give them back the control. They dictate the pace that the case goes at. They dictate what <clears throat> what they want to tell us, what they want to get done. So this is done with a guide uh, present as well. And it's usually one of the guides from Protective Services or somebody's experienced in coming to SATU. And really it's collecting evidence while also taking care of their medical needs, making sure they're safe, they have any prophylaxis medications, um, and if you're over 18 and maybe it's something you don't want to report just yet, you're not too sure, or maybe you just don't know and it's somebody who's maybe related to you or somebody that you know because we know that a high majority of people will actually know their assailant. So you can come to us if it's within the seven days and we will do the full rape kit. We will take all that evidence that we need to and we will store it and we'll freeze it um, and we'll keep it on the unit for up to two years. So it gives you a little bit of time just to catch your breath get yourself together, think about what you want to do 
and have conversation with supportive people and then, you know, support you in going forward to Angarda Siakana who can then come and collect all that evidence and take it on. So, and then we do follow up. So we meet people for up to a year afterwards. We offer them prophylaxis medications, maybe STI screening treatment of anything that's there. Um, and linking them in with the different services. So we have um, a lot of people coming into the country that may not be in contact with any medical services, so it's assisting them along that route. Whatever way they need, really, really assist them as much as we can. When you look, Margo, at the the services and the, the number of units that are right across the country at the moment, is it a case that we have enough? Like, Do we have services in each county to deal with people who want to come forward? I think initially what was the idea was that everybody in the country is within a three-hour drive of a Saturday. And we have a key performance indicator that once you make that call, we will try and see within the three hours. And that's not always going to be possible due to, you know, logistics, particularly if guards are involved and they need to, to go to a crime scene and medical needs will always need to be looked after. Do we need more? I think we need more staff. We need, and it's not for, unfortunately, there is a huge shortage for healthcare staff in the country at the moment. We have a dedicated, very, very dedicated cohort of staff that work in the units. Um, I would be, you know, I think the six units are very much connected. We work off the same national database. So a lot of people are worried about confidentiality um, and they don't want to go to their local hospitals. They don't want anyone to know this has happened to them because unfortunately we still, there's a lot of stigma attached to this crime um, for the victims. So I think... You know, having the units that we have, I think where they're placed is very much, you know, acceptable at the moment. Always, everybody wants more more services, but what I would be afraid of is that they attach them places where people won't go, whereas at the moment where the six services are, they're very discreet areas um, and they manage the cohort that come in very well. So I think at the moment it's really, you know, there's been a lot of funding, which we really appreciate, but there's always room for improvement. And what kind of services do you think Margot would need? Like, how, how could this be enhanced? How, how could we provide or offer people with a better service? Well, I suppose we've, what we've done in the last two years is that we've started developing outreach follow-up clinics, which is fantastic. So um, rather than having to come back to us for the follow-up care, we're now going out into the community and meeting patients where they don't have to incur expense um, they don't have to travel or take time off work to get to us. So I think more of that for the follow-up care. I think we need to be very careful, you know, and with the forensic units that we have, they are dedicated forensic units. There's very stringent decontamination rules. And to stand up in court, we need to be able to stand over that. But I think for the follow-up case, so meeting them to do STI screens, maybe continue their prophylaxis linking in, us going out into the community is, is very important. Um, we've recently, in the last two years, we've opened a clinic in Bantry and it's made such a phenomenal difference. So I think, you know, something like that, that we um, have enough staff that we can go to those primary care centres or GP surgeries who, who offer us room to provide that follow-up service. And I think then it just makes sure that we have a more full care of those patients. It's not just a once-off visit that they have that link with us for as long as they need us. And I, I think that's where we need to start looking is moving our follow-up clinics out into the community. You know, more staff in the units, bigger units. Unfortunately, the units um, at Donegal have a purpose-built unit and Galway now have a new purpose-built unit. So if we could get, you know, year on year, the staffing numbers have to increase to keep up with the demand of patients. So to have more, I suppose, space would be great, but... Um, Unfortunately, that's something that it takes a lot of negotiation at the moment. Just finally, Margot, for people listening, 
listening to you today. Um, what advice would you have for somebody that maybe is a little bit hesitant about contacting you or coming forward? I'd say pick up the phone and have a conversation. Uh, you know, you don't have to give your name or, you know, your personal details at the start. Just have a conversation with us. Listen to us, you know, tell us what, what your thoughts are. And we'll do everything we can to support you. Um, and I'm really, you know, it's great when we meet patients to do come in. And my favourite line is, I'm so glad. I was so nervous about coming in. Um, but now I feel so much better than, you know, that I've been here. Um, and we do collect a lot of patient feedback. And that would be the resounding um thing we get back from patients is that you gave me back a bit of dignity I feel safer, I know my medical I'm back in control a little bit and I know I'm not alone because this is one of the loneliest places a person can be when they're affected by this crime Margot Noonan, Advanced Nurse Practitioner at the Cork Sexual Assault Treatment Unit. Margot, thank you for joining us in the programme today. I should say the National 24-Hour Helpline number um, for the Rape Crisis Centres throughout Ireland 1800 777 Double eight. That's the number if you want to get in touch. Ruth Maxwell is with us here in Lunchtime Live as well because Ruth, you actually shared your own story, your own experience with us here on the programme previously. Just on that point that Margot mentioned about the follow-up aftercare clinics, um, follow-up services for people, I remember talking to you and you mentioned that previously as well. How beneficial would that be? Um, it would be really, really beneficial for victims but I think it should be more in relation to primary care centres because they're they're in every single county and definitely less than a three-hour drive away. But when you're looking at 185 under 18 and they don't want anyone to know and they might be further out in the country, let's say like my situation, I would be probably about two hours from Mullingar or an hour and a half from Galway. So if you don't want anyone to know and you don't drive, and it's the middle of the night. What what are you going to do? Like, under-18s don't drive. So, you know, if they want to be discreet and don't want anyone to know, and then they're obviously waiting for the opening hours from 8 to 5 or 8 to 4 till they can get some public transport. So there's other services, you know, even in addition to what Margot has mentioned that you think Ruth would actually serve a great purpose in 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 facilitating and helping people to come forward absolutely yeah yeah like you know to be sitting around for up to three hours now it can go way longer than that in the same clothes not being able to eat drink pee wash your hands anything nothing and automatically what you want to do is clean yourself because you feel filthy that's that goes across the board with all sexual violence and you know, when you're looking on the HSE website about the unit, they yes, there's the six there. And if you're in a complete state of trauma looking at that, okay, well, that's only open eight to four. How far am I from that one? This one's eight to five. Okay, you can only phone this one after five. Are they free phone numbers? It's not clear. Um, and it says then that, you know, people from the Rape Crisis Centre may may support the person in accompanying them. And that's not clear. Like, would would somebody be available on, we'll say, Christmas Day at 5 a.m.? Like, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for the wording. And I just find, you know, the Victims Directive clearly says there's minimal access to information support services. 
But when you're looking at that on the website, for me, that's exactly what I see, just minimal information. Like, it needs to be fully operational, a national service, 24-7, clear, concise language. Like, there's only 15 forensic nurses, examiners in the country. Like, you know, if, if the Minister for Justice is really serious about tackling this, that it's rising so fast, all of these cases, and encouraging people to come forward. Well, when you're looking at that, that's, that's not very encouraging. And, like, my National Self-Defence Day for women, mm. when I go to them, and I've spoken at several, you know, groups around the country, and that those events and groups are full of women, and there'll be men around who wouldn't come forward. And the stories are harrowing. They really are. So, you know, you don't look, need to look too far sometimes to see who and why they don't come forward. I remember when we spoke, Ruth, and when you shared your own experience um, here with us on the programme, I have a feeling it was around this time last year when we when we talked. And I remember you talked about um, the need for, if you want to call it, you know, post-trial support services and yeah. you highlighted um, like I always remember you talking about the uh, like the aftermath of an attack like what, what you suffered and what so many other people have gone through that that lives with you every day that it doesn't because you've accessed services or perhaps people have gone through the uh, the courts the judicial system it never ends that you relive this constantly all the time Are, do we have supports there to help with that do we have sufficient supports to help you and many others with that? Well, if I based it on my own experience, no. And I still don't have anything. And I've been shouting about it for, well, since 2018. So my attack was 2016, so from 2018 up until now. And, you know, I'm one of five women. And there needs to be rehabilitation programmes, integration programmes back into society for victims. So you can live as a full productive member of society if possible. Like I cannot get away from my attack ever from the minute I wake up in the morning till I fall asleep because there's the physical injury side to it that I can't manage physically a lot of the time. Because you were le- you were left with um well this was there were physical implications and changes Ruth. Yeah, yeah. My my tendons were severed on three of my fingers and they were reattached and then some of them reattached a second time. But I mean, these these few years later, I mean, that pain is up my arm into my shoulder. I can't really sleep on that side at night because I'll wake up, my hand is dead, it's numb. Or if I do too much, even after about an hour, like cutting the grass when, when I stop, my hand is shaking uncontrollably. And, you know... There's things that can help, but it would never recover. That's that's it. So each day, trying to put yourself into the right perspective that, okay, I have to do things differently, slowly, but it would, it would be nice to, even in my own community, have supports and services that I could go to people and, okay, right, what's new? Is there anything else I can do here? I don't have anything like that. Um... Every time there was another trial coming up, where was the psychological support? Like, for a case like this with five victims, there should have been a strategy put in place, a team, a trauma team, 
that would look after you during the trial, post-trial, and then rehabilitating and integrating you back into society. That is what I would want from my child. It's hard to. It, I mean, it's yeah. It's hard. It's hard to understand why why that isn't in place. And I, you talk about the physical injuries, and you find ways maybe to to deal with that. But the emotional wounds and the fact that I'm sure every time you watch a news bulletin or listen to a you know a news bulletin and you hear other similar cases, you're you know you're probably reliving the whole thing again. Every right? time, yeah. yeah, every time. Well, like I, since 2018, there's been. I'd say nearly 150 court appearances by my attacker. So I've relived it. You know, times like on my birthday, he'd be up in court or the anniversary of my attack, he'd be up in court again. And there's nothing there to support you through well, anything like that. Perhaps if the Justice Minister, if Helen McEntee, is um, is tuned into us today, just listening to Ruth, I mean, I think they're, they're very genuine questions and you would wonder why we don't have more support services for Ruth and, and so many other people across the country who have been the victim of physical and sexual attacks, um, that there aren't more mechanisms there for them to to try and, and just get on with their lives, having gone through something like this. Lunchtime Live at Newstalk.com is the email address if you want to get in touch with us today. Ruth, listen, thank you for, for joining us um, and talking about this on the programme today. I know it's it's never it's never easy, but I do appreciate your 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 opinion, I suppose, you know, on, on this particular issue. Uh, these are figures released to News Talk today as well. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.